Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Ronnie Jackson, a former marketing executive in advertising, now an educational tech entrepreneur. Hear how the void left by her mother's death when she was 13 got filled with the village of women, helping to raise her, providing her with a roadmap to understand herself as a woman and future mother. The resilience this loss created helped her as she faced a more recent loss of losing her job of more than a decade. Please welcome Ronnie Jackson. Welcome, Ronnie, to Phoenix Tales. I start the show off by asking one question and one question only. And the question would be, has there been an event in your life, personal or professional, that was challenging that might have reshaped the direction of your own life? Can I give you two? Do I have to start with one? You can, you can start <laughs> with what? I mean, talk about like the most important inflection point. Yeah, I think it's it's hard for me because my first inflection point was probably the death of my mother at 13. And I think that changed the trajectory of my life, not just where we were living, but the schools that I attended, the support system that I had growing up, and maybe even the woman that I became. And I would say the second one was when I lost my job that I had been working at for 10 years and was laid off and had to recreate and reinvent who I was and really choose what my identity was and how I would consider moving forward as an adult. So let's go back to the death of your mom. Were your parents together? And so you were left living with your father or what did the family situation look like once your mother had passed? So my parents were divorced. And once my mother, there were three of us, I was the oldest, three kids. And we had to live with my my father and my stepmother and my um, brother, my half-brother. And you said that it changed the trajectory of your life. Can you be a little bit more specific in terms of, and you said more importantly, it shaped you as a woman. Being a motherless daughter is a very challenging place to be, particularly as you begin your teenage years. You are... And left without anyone understanding exactly who you are. And I think that's what mothers do. They understand you because you're a part of them. I was fortunate enough to have been raised by a village of women. So <laughs> six or seven <laughs> who have all imparted their, their ways and notions and thoughts on me, um, which yeah, who knows what that is about myself. But I think um, I was fortunate enough to have that village and make that village part of, of who I am. So I think when I talk about the trajectory of being a woman, I mean, I didn't have a mother when I got married. I didn't have a mother to help me with my children or my own mother to call and ask for advice about boys and situations and finances and house and, and no one to just call and, and talk and complain to. I had a series of people who definitely 
picked up the gauntlet and just ran with it and and were definitely huge parts of my life. But I think that not having my mother truly impacted who I am and and how I think and even I think my devotion to my own children. Yeah, I was just going to get back to the fact that because you didn't have your mom as sort of a model, how were you able to figure out for yourself? I mean, I know for a lot of women, so in my case, I knew that I didn't want to mother my child the way my mother had mothered me, right? (laughs) And not because I don't love my mother, but, you know, she did things differently than I would have wanted to do or whatever. So if you didn't have that model, how did that inform you as a, as a mother to your own kids? I mean, I think it informs you a lot like other things do, kind of secondhand information. And I think it becomes a variety of people and styles. So, you know, I watched how that village of women raised their children or even doted on me. And I tried to give my kids that. But I think ultimately... And this is probably the case for many people. You always want what you don't have. You know, it would be my greatest dream to have my mother, even if I didn't like the way she parented. And I probably wouldn't like it. And I'm not quite sure that was the best model for, for parenting I had. But it was what I wanted. Did your mother die suddenly or was she sick? She was sick. She had a disease called scleroderma, which is an autoimmune deficiency. And, you know, it was very early in the disease's I think even knowing what the disease was, I think she was misdiagnosed with lupus for several years. And then it took about three years for her to pass away from the time that she got sick to when she died. So having a parent sick as a young child must have also informed you in some profound ways. Can you kind of pull that thread apart and figure out for yourself whether it created a greater sense of empathy for people or a greater need to protect yourself, right? Because you don't know what the world will bring. And so you can become more cautious. I think you're numbed by a lot. So things don't surprise you and they don't resonate for me the way I think other people feel things. Like I think I expect bad things to happen. So I don't look for them. But then when they do, I have a resiliency that allows me to continue moving. Well, I find that so surprising because you're um, someone who I think of as being incredibly positive and full of joy. Thank you. And I am. I am positive. I'm very optimistic. But I think that knowing that bad things can happen to you, even if you don't expect them or don't look for them, is a sense of um, protection. That makes sense. So let's go back to the second inflection point. Can you tell us about the 10-year career? And more importantly, at what point in your adulthood did that happen? So it happened in my adulthood about five years ago. And not to give my age away, but that was in my 40s. I had given so much to a company that had given me kind of so little. And not only that, but I, I think I defined myself by the company and by what I was doing versus being comfortable and confident with every other accomplishment I had made. Like this somehow became part of my DNA. Yeah, I mean, I think you're not alone. I think a lot of people attach their identity to the career. So when you were let go, were there moments where you really did not know how to proceed forward or more importantly, what you wanted to do as you started to navigate 
figuring out the next chapter for yourself? Absolutely. I think I was devastated. I think I had been expecting it for a while and knew it was going to happen. I think I just wanted it to be on my own terms. And that was a challenge. But I think where the reinvention happened with the power of friendships and networking and people believing in you and your talents, and then that resiliency that I was talking about, something bad happened. So now just kind of pull together your assets and figure out how to move forward. Can you talk about the power of friendship and what that really means and translates to you? I know you were saying sort of making reference to the fact that people gave you encouragement, but also provided you perhaps with, you know, contacts and things to figure out new opportunities for yourself. Yeah, it started immediately after I was laid off. It was one friend who said, hey, you're so good at this. Can you help me do a project? And one project led to another project to, I thought, wow, I should probably get a LLC or a company or create a name for this business and consider this consulting a real job while I was in the process of looking for what I called a real job. A full-time corporate role was what I was looking for. And the consulting roles helped me a lot with some things that I think I had been neglecting, like my family. I traveled a lot. I worked a lot. I don't know if I had the opportunity to spend as much time with the kids and my husband as I would have wanted to or think I maybe should have. And the consulting allowed me to do that right at a time when my son was, you know, in high school and needed me the most. And um, I don't know if you ever have a time when your child doesn't need you the most, but that's what I felt like he needed a lot of attention. So can you tell us what it was that you did for the 10 years and then more importantly, how that's translated into what you do now? Sure. I created experiential marketing strategies and programs for brands, which basically help them connect emotionally with their customers to drive loyalty and, and brand value. Okay. And so you did that for 10 years. And was it a, a firm or was it a specific company? Yeah, it was for a firm, for an, an advertising agency. I led a, a team of strategists on, on how you talk to people. And so through that, I got to do really cool things like commercials and writing and concepts and tours and concerts and celebrity partnerships. It was very fun. And that's probably why I spent a lot of time doing it. It was a good career. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> so what are you doing now? And more importantly, like what were the steps that kind of brought you from that moment where you felt, you know, like you got sucker punched really and you didn't know which way to turn to where you are today. So I started the consulting and with one opportunity comes another opportunity. And then I had a friend, a running partner, who said, Cal, let's think about doing something together. Let's create a concept. And we started a business together almost three years ago now. And we've started developing educational software. So changing the way higher education professors teach and utilizing multimedia and technology in the classroom. Oh, wow. So are you partnered with universities or you're independent? Yeah, no, we're definitely an independent company, but we get adopted by universities. So we're adopted by about 75 universities right now. Oh, that's incredible. 
it's incredible for our first year. So it's been really positive and the growth has been amazing in the past year and COVID's helped a lot. Yeah, I would imagine because people have to pivot about how to teach, right? How to teach and going online. No one was expecting that. And we um, released our product probably last July, July 2020. So right in the heart of the pandemic. Wow. So let's go back to you talked about the resiliency of losing your mom at such a young age and that kind of informing when you face obstacles or challenges or difficulties. Do you think that some of your resilience and your ability to move forward is part of your nature or can you really pinpoint it to that moment of loss? Mm, That brings up the whole idea of nature versus nurture, right? And what does that do? I would say that resiliency is certainly a part of the fabric of my being, but I definitely think that it's been nurtured by that moment, by the loss, by being a teenager, moving in with people you hadn't lived with before. Visiting your parents is one thing. Living with someone is completely different. It's a different set of rules and expectations. You know, and and everyone has different emotions and feelings that they're dealing with at this time. I mean, my father's, the mother of his kids passed away and, you know, he's had to adjust to a new life. My stepmother at the time, I don't know if she even wanted children, <laughs> but then she was saddled with four, you know. Oh, wow. And so everyone is taking on a role that they hadn't anticipated being in and raging hormones, you know, I'm sure I wasn't, I know I wasn't a piece of cake to live with. And, you know, the feeling of isolation or loneliness, feeling like you're alone when you are not. So is that sense of isolation something you carry with you even now? I don't know. I think it's um, a fear of isolation that I probably carry with me now. So the sense of always wanting to have family nearby being the one that people call and talk to about their problems and situations. Eventually, probably being the matriarch of my family since, you know, everyone's aging. When you were describing the sense of loneliness, a loneliness that you experienced moving in with your father into this new family situation. And I think I asked you if that sense of loneliness is something you still carry as an adult. The fear of loneliness is what I carry as an adult. I am afraid of being alone. I think that a lack of stability is probably the biggest fear for me. I mean, when we were children, we were uprooted from our home, you know, and basically moved into someone else's. Eventually it became our house. But initially, you know, we were moving in with my dad and, and my stepmother into their home, into their lives. So... As an adult, your fear of being lonely, I'm sure, has kind of propelled you to create a strong nuclear family for yourself. Is that kind of what happened? Yes. Thank you for leading me there. Yes. <laughs> so, so I've created a really strong family unit, and I think that it has been kind of very welcoming to other family members. So from posting large holiday gatherings to being the home front where a lot of my nieces and nephews and friends' kids come to play. You can come here and gather. It is a place for everyone. It's so interesting because 
a lot of times when people have experienced that kind of acute loneliness at a young age, that there's a part of them that is always sort of shielded, right? That they protect. And doesn't mean that they're antisocial or anything, but the need to not be lonely is more of a protective action as opposed to, you know, let me create a family that I didn't have. So as you create this nuclear family, can you go back and just kind of think to yourself, what is it about your mom that you miss the most? And is that something that you're always seeking in this family dynamic that you've created for yourself? I think it's very difficult to say exactly what you miss the most about something that you don't have or didn't have. I think I can watch other people and see what they had and not necessarily love all of it, right? Everyone has such drastically different relationships with their mothers. I think that, and this will probably be my optimistic side, it was devastating to be, you know, 10 when my mother got sick and then to start seeing her decline and then 13 when she passed away. But I was so fortunate to have other people step in and step up that my life didn't miss any obvious beats. What it missed, I think, was that one person you can go to. And I had several people to go to, but then I probably even dissect my life that way too. Like there are several different friends and each of them have a purpose, right? Like everyone is good for something and not, and not very few of, very, very few people are there for everything. And so maybe I do probably shield myself a little bit in terms of how much I share and what I share and even how many friends I have. Yeah. And do you think that it also, for some, especially for children, when they lose a parent, it's this sense of abandonment and the fear of that. Do you think part of that fear has also driven how you've created your own life? No, I don't necessarily think I felt abandoned. That loss having kind of driven you to create the life that you've created. And if you could think to yourself, how differently would my life have been had your mother lived? Could you kind of picture that for yourself in any way? And how, and would that inform, i.e., like you were talking about, you know, your career choices and the way that your life has actually unfolded? I don't know what that life would have looked like. I don't look at things that way. I don't look at things in terms of like what you might have missed out on. And that's probably just the way I view things. I think I look at them in terms of what did I personally not get versus did I miss out on something? So can you tell us what it is that you've identified as what you didn't get? I think it's the same theme. It's, it's the, a level of, of love and understanding. Right. So it's a level of security. It was a broken home, right? My dad was there in in our lives, of course, but they weren't together. And the takeaway, the person that nurtures you and cares for you and feeds you, hugs you and teaches you to dance and cook. And that's what I feel like I missed. Eleven is still young. Do you have very specific memories of her? I know a lot of people who've lost their parents quite young. There's a point in their lives where the memories start to fade. They're not quite as vivid. I have some very, I have a few very strong memories, but probably not as many as I want to have or I wish I had. And we didn't have a lot of video and 
And the photos I have are very old. It's always of me at a really young age. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, who is that? <laughs> you know, who's <laughs> that little girl? I think I feel mostly, even more than myself, but for my brother and sister who were so much younger than I was. So they were six and 10 when she passed away. And, you know, their lives have been interrupted too. Could you see how, and this is where we get to sort of the nature nurture question, how each of you handled that disruption and the ways in which it informed their life choices? Like my brother, he's created a family of his own too, like his own nucleus that he is like surrounds himself like a bubble with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he's devoted to them. My sister's the same way with her children and just always wanting to give of yourself because of your kids and not wanting to be away from them at all. And I think we, all three of us crave stability in a way that other people may not. Mm, and so therefore you've all created that stability in your own lives. We have. I think our, our relationship is, is still strong, but you know, definitely more separated. I mean, when you're raised with siblings in the same household, I think there's a level of intimacy that you all share. I think because our lives were so hectic when I was in high school and then I left shortly afterwards, there were some years where we just didn't connect. And that might be natural where you have an older sibling and, you know, other kids are in younger grades and you might not have the time and attention to create those family moments. I think we were all trying to figure out how to be a family, that we couldn't necessarily get to some of the things that are innate by the time you are, you know, 10 or 11 or 13, because they've been going on for so many years. And then you said that being stable is so profoundly important to you above and beyond to create a life that is stable. So when you go back to that moment and you lost the job, that sense of being destabilized, was that even more unnerving than perhaps somebody who just lost their job? I'm not sure because, you know, as I talk to other people, when they lose their job and they've put their identity into their jobs too, I think that they probably feel the same sense of loss I did. I think it's when you give so much of yourself to something. So I feel like what I experienced was very human. It was definitely a change in my life. I had, you know, two things. I had my family and then my career and I lost half. Mm -hmm. And the problem was I gave a job half of myself. And have you learned from that experience now? I hope so. I think I learned that, you know, I have to prioritize what is most important to me and always put that at the forefront. And what's most important to me are, are my husband and my children and then my family. and my close friends. Yeah, I wanted to go back to you as a parent. I mean, I would imagine that there is a part of you that obviously reveled in being able to be a parent, but also moments of real self-doubt and fear. So did you find yourself being incredibly protective in a way to shield them from what you had experienced? No, I don't think they ever had that. My experience with my children was just, I tried to give them all of me and tried to make their lives as great as they possibly could. I think that for me, my mortality was always in question. I think that was the question I was trying to ask, but in a subtle way, because I didn't want to be like, (laughs) oh, were you afraid that you were going to die when you turned, when, you know, your first child turned 11? (laughs) 
Yeah, that was the issue for me is, was my mortality in question? My mother came down with a very serious disease and died at 40 years old. So until I was 40, I was being tested every year. Do I have it? Am I going to get it? What do you think? And every year, you know, probably twice a year, the doctor would have to tell me, no, Ronnie, you don't have it. That moment was such a sense of relief. I hadn't realized that I had even, how much I had been thinking about that. Like, am I going to lose, you know, am I going to leave my children when they're six and, and nine? You know, am I, am I going to leave my children when they're 10 and 13? Right. Now, I think that was what I was trying to ask. But then let's look at the flip side of that. Because you were always kind of looking at a stopwatch and thinking that the clock was running out, did it also make you more appreciative of the here and now, right? Like not obsessing about something that could have happened or should have happened, but just saying to yourself, you know, I don't know how long my time is, actually. And so I'm going to make the best and most of each moment. I wish I could say I was like those women in the books or in the movies where they were like, so we're going to live for now. I don't think I did that really well. I've written in this book from my son, who's, well, both the boys, actually. And probably every year I write them a note in this book and, you know, that that will be their gift. And I think I've been writing these notes because I always wanted them to know what I was thinking when they first rode a bike, when they finished kindergarten, like, you know, how they were when they graduated eighth grade or just a general Tuesday. What did I do on Tuesday? What was I thinking about you this day? And I think it's my love letter to the boys. Yeah. And I think for me, I obviously have not done anything like that. And I don't think a lot of people out there would have. But I think the question that I'm, you know, what I see is as tragic of a loss as it was for you to lose your mom, in a sense, what you've done is you're giving your sons this incredible gift, right? That was created because of that loss. And I think as a parent who hasn't done any of that, I can only marvel at and wish I could go back in time to do more of that for my own child. You've been a wonderful mother. I've watched you over the years, so I can't even work with that one on you, even if it is your podcast. I'll tell you, I think you've been awesome. I mean, you may not have written them a love letter, but you certainly did love letter items. Yeah, but there's something so poignant and tangible when you were describing this book that I think a lot of us will go, oh, I wish I had done something <laughs> like that. Because as a parent, there's always a part of you that does think about your mortality and if and when your child loses you. And imagining that loss, doing this podcast, the death of a parent has come up as one of the major themes. And it is absolutely fascinating how everybody's experience is so singular. And no matter the age, when it happens or happened, it informs them in some profound way. It does. You know, and I think when I go back to the book and I tell you that I was what I, I wrote, what I was thinking, when I go back to what I think I was missing, and you asked me this question earlier, it's that I don't know what she was thinking, you know? So I don't know what she would have thought about certain things. And I would give my right finger to be able to hear her tell me, yes, your husband's a good pick. No, don't buy that house. <laughs> oh, that dress is not looking the best on you. Perhaps you should look at something else. I would probably give up some amazing things to just have a few more moments um, with someone that I was just getting to know. 
So if you could go and ask her one thing that you really want to know desperately, what would that be? I think it would have been, what was her plan for us? What were we supposed to be doing next? What did she see as our future? I don't know if I'm clear on that. And was she clear that she might not survive the disease? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was deteriorating. Yeah. So she lived the last three years sort of aware that time was definitely ticking. I mean, I remember a few things. Make sure your brother Kyle graduates college. (laughs) Watch out for your sister. She's going to need you. I mean, like that. But those were her parting words in my in, in the way I see it. And I feel like there's something missing in that. That is a lovely place to end. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the last question. So if you could find one song that either speaks to you or feels as if the song had been written for you or about you, what would that song be? I think it's a song by Jamiroquai, and it's called Corner of the Earth. And the song is about finding your space and your happy place on the planet. Do you think you've found your space and your happy place now? I'm getting closer. I think I've found parts of it. I've seen where it is. I'm coming closer. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they gon' ask me why I do it, I'ma say this because. We gon' be the best on earth, just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that coulda, shoulda, would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.